church, go ahead and have a seat. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And if you're new with us, over the last several weeks, we've been walking through one of the most important sermons in Jesus's short three years of ministry called the Sermon on the Mount. And up to this point in his sermon, Jesus has done a few things for us. He has urged us, or he has urged his disciples to base their understanding of the righteousness of God on the scriptures and not that of the Pharisees. What we've seen Jesus do is correct much of the false teaching of the Pharisees that was taking place. And instead, what Jesus does is he elevates the law and he elevates the call of disciples on their life. And he says, guys, live a life of righteousness based solely on the scriptures. And then last week, Jesus clarified that true righteousness involves a genuine worship of the Father. It's not this hypocritical or flashy style of worship when it comes to how we fast or how we pray. God the Father wants us to worship Him and Him alone and allow our worship to be done in such a way that He would be glorified and not us. And then finally today, we're going to see Jesus speak to His disciples about what true righteousness involves as we live in this world and more specifically, He's going to talk about how we deal with worry and anxiety. Now, before we jump into that, I want to share something with you. Statistically speaking, worry and anxiety shouldn't be much of an issue for us, especially for those that live in and around the Woodlands, Texas. I'm not sure if you saw this, but about a month ago, the USA Today published a survey that was done in 2018 about the top places to live in the USA. And the Woodlands was ranked seventh among all the cities in the USA. And here's what I found to be most interesting. Outside of Berkeley, California, which is in the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area, you can't beat that part of the country, it's gorgeous. Outside of Berkeley, California, the woodlands beat out every coastal city and mountain town out there. All the places that we like to go vacation, (laughs) the woodlands, Texas, ranked above all of them. They were seventh in the US. And here's what should be more assuring to us Uh, To those of you in this room that have children or you have grandchildren, or if you desire to have children, the Woodlands, Texas ranked second in all of the cities when it comes to raising a family. That's pretty incredible. And these rankings were based on several items that include the housing market, employment and salary trends, crime rates, and school rankings. So statistically speaking, there shouldn't be much for us to worry about, should there? Statistically, we shouldn't be worried about our homes. We shouldn't be worried about our salary. We shouldn't be worried about our job security. We shouldn't be worried about schools and where we send our children to. And we shouldn't be worried about potential crime in our neighborhoods. In fact, we should feel pretty good about the circumstances we find ourselves in. But I have a feeling that if I sat down with each of you individually, and this is true for myself as well, that if we became honest and vulnerable with one another, I think we would all recognize that we live in an extremely anxious society, don't we? I'm not even talking about the things on a grand scale view, right? I'm not talking about worldview. I'm not talking about wars and famine and genocide and all the things that are happening around the globe. I'm talking about the things that keep you up at night, the things that keep me up at night. The worry and the anxiety that lives just underneath that Instagram picture perfect life. Now, if I were to survey the crowd, I would guess that the majority of us fall into one or more of these categories about the things we worry about the most, and it's not the Astros. (laughs) We tend to worry about relationships with others and the conflict within those relationships. We worry about what others think of us. 
We worry about unexpected death and the effect that it might have on our families. We worry about our children and how they navigate the world that we live in. And probably one of the most common worries among us, and Jesus addresses this today, is money or wealth. And my concern is, is that in some ways, we as a church or as a people have begun to give respect and honor to the sin of worry and anxiety. We have no problem calling out the sins of this world. We have no problem calling out the sins of society and culture and the things that we see going on in the lives of those around us. But as we typically tend to do, we neglect to pay attention to sin in our own lives, including sin, the sin of worry and anxiety. We've talked about this before, actually, when we were talking about spiritual disciplines. Um, but we as a society, we've grown accustomed to wearing this badge of honor that comes with a busy life. We like to wear this badge. If anyone asks you, hey, how you doing? What's your typical response? I'm busy. I'm crazy busy right now. We love to say this, all the while neglecting to realize that the most common consequence of a crazy busy life is what? Worry and anxiety. And so when we elevate a busy life, we are actually elevating and promoting and giving respect to the sin of worry and anxiety. But in this next section on the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see Jesus directly command us to not worry. Now, because Jesus is the good shepherd, he's the great high priest, he's the ultimate pastor, he's not just going to yell at you to stop worrying, be happy, right? He doesn't do that. Now, he's going to do a few things for us this morning. He's going to point out the root cause of our worry. Okay, he's going to point out the root cause. He's going to share some reasons why we shouldn't worry. And then he's going to give us the antidote. He's going to give us the antidote to this poison pill called anxiety that really tends to churn up inside most of us. And so we're going to begin this morning. We're going to be in Matthew 6, 19. If you have your Bibles, your phones, go ahead and open those up. The verses will be on the screen behind me. So... And we're going to be running through a lot of verses today, so stick with me. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says this. Jesus is continuing his sermon here. He's going to show us that the root cause of our worry is where our treasure is. Let's see. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So as we begin, what we see is that Jesus gives us two commands in these first three verses. The first command, Jesus says, is don't lay up, or in other words, don't store up treasures for yourself. Now, naturally, when most of us read this, we automatically think of money, don't we? But Jesus didn't say that. He used the word treasure. Why do you think that? Why do you think he used the word treasure instead of money? He used the word treasure so that it could include anything that we place value on in this earth. In, on this earth. That's how he defines it in verse 21. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what Jesus is saying is that our treasure is whatever we set our hearts on. Whatever you spend time thinking about and dreaming about and trying to get more of. That's what Jesus is defining as your treasure. And so the question is, is what is that for you? What do you spend most of your time dreaming about? What do you spend all your time thinking about, trying to get more of? It could be money. It could be the next home. It could be trying to make your current home more comfortable or even 
bringing the more abundance of possessions within your home. It could be vacations. It could be experiences. It could be relationships. It could be a spouse. It could be another child. It could be respect and honor and wanting more and more and more of whatever it is that keeps you dreaming. Now, to be clear, Jesus isn't saying that any of those things are inherently bad, all right? He's not saying that having money or buying stuff or going on awesome vacations or wanting relationships or wanting a family are bad things, but the key phrase in this text is, for yourselves. The issue that Jesus is addressing here, and really as he has been throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount, no matter what topic he's addressing, he's addressing the heart. He's addressing the heart of the issue. Jesus is saying, don't have your heart completely wrapped up in the things of this earth. And the problem that Jesus is addressing here is in this text about treasures is going, is going to those treasures and looking to those treasures as your ultimate satisfaction. Now, the question we have to figure out again is how do we know what our treasure is? What are the things we treasure most in our lives? It's a simple little quiz. I'm going to have you just run through your heads. You don't need to raise your hands or anything, but here we go. I want you to ask this question of yourself. Whenever you say these words, if I had blank, then I would be happy. What is that for you? If I had blank, then I would be happy. Or if, I, if this would happen to me, then I would finally be happy. Or the antithesis to that question, if I lost this, then my life would be over. What is that for you? What is that fill in the blank for you? This could be money. It could be upgrading your home or a different home. It could be the next vacation, whatever it is. Jesus is saying, he's saying, stop laying up those treasures for yourself. Stop looking to those things to fill what you perceive to be an empty hole inside of you. And then he gives us the next command. He says, instead, lay up or store up treasures in heaven. Now, the problem with this here is Jesus doesn't give us any sort of clue of what the treasure in heaven might be, right? We, we don't know if it's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. We don't know if it's jewels in our crown. I love that song. It just stuck with me. It stuck with me. But thankfully, the Apostle Paul explains this a little bit more for us in 1 Timothy. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy 6, 17. It'll be on the screen behind me. Now, for a little context, Paul is speaking to people like you and I in this room today. People who have lots of things stored up and primarily stored up for ourselves. Paul says this in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age. Now, when we're reading this, we should be pretty comfortable in knowing that Paul is talking to us. For the rich in this present age, if you own a vehicle, I don't care what year, make, or model it is. If you own a vehicle, you are richer than 50% of the rest of the world. Okay, so we are rich. Paul says this, as for the rich in this present age, he's talking to us, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. You see, Paul is echoing what Jesus had to say here. Paul is saying that treasures on this earth, they're uncertain. They never last. Jesus used the imagery of moths and rust and thieves for a reason, because everything in this world is decaying, it's being destroyed, or it's being stolen away. The stuff you have, the experiences you make, the respect you attain and work so hard to earn, it never lasts. 
So placing our hope on the riches of this earth means we are placing our hope in complete uncertainty. Placing our hope on the riches of this earth means we are placing our hope in complete uncertainty. And what comes with uncertainty? What comes with doubt? What comes with wondering? Worry and anxiety all the time. But Paul says this in the last part of this verse. He says, set our hopes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. In other words, Paul is saying, make God your treasure. And he continues on in verse 18. They are to do good. The rich, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul is saying that if you love God, and maybe this is where we need to do some self-reflection, some self-examination. Paul says, if you love God, you will be rich in good works and you are going to be using your earthly treasure to store up heavenly treasure. When you use your money, your possessions or your position, whatever it is that you have on this earth, whatever you use to expand the kingdom of God, then that treasure, that treasure of the expansion of God's kingdom can never be destroyed. Ever. Think about this. That treasure can never go away. When we use our earthly treasure for the expansion of God's kingdom, we are then influencing people who are going to spend an eternity with God in heaven. And that can never be taken away. It will never rust. It will never fade. And it can never be stolen. Amen? And here's what I want to set in deeply for you this morning. Understand this. This, is, this, was a, this was an amazing thought for me this week. Someday, when God decides it's time for you to come home, you are going to greet people at the doorsteps of heaven when you arrive because of the way you lived your, your life, the faith you had, and the way that you used your earthly treasure. You're going to greet them at the doorsteps of heaven. Isn't that beautiful? It's an absolutely beautiful and amazing thought. This is how I thought about it this week. Someday at the doorsteps of heaven, I'm going to, I'm going to greet those that use their earthly treasures to expand the kingdom so that a ragtag punk like me who didn't grow up in a church, who has no formal education, no money, no family inheritance to dream of, no possible way to say that I could earn my way into heaven, I was invited to a church where people before me gave of their earthly treasures so that I could see and hear and experience the saving grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. I'll get to greet those people someday and say thank you for a treasure that will never fade. It will never rust and it can never be taken away from me. That is an amazing and humbling thought. Those people that came before did the very thing that Jesus is commanding and that Paul is describing by using their earthly treasure to expand the kingdom, which led to the opportunity for me to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, place my faith in him, and have my life changed forever. And the same goes for each and every one of you in this room. Every single one of you have been impacted and influenced by the way that others 
use their treasures on this earth so that your life could be changed forever, so that you could spend an eternity with God that will never fade, it will never rust, and will never be stolen away. And so with that understanding, how could we ever hold back from what God has given us to expand his kingdom and influence others so that one day we might greet those that were influenced at the doorsteps of heaven and welcome them to an eternity with our heavenly father? That's a treasure that doesn't fade. Moths, rust, thieves never have claim on that treasure. And that's the idea that we see in this next section. Matthew 6, verse 22, moving on, it says this, the the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, if we aren't careful, this verse can be interpreted in a lot of different ways on what a good eye and a bad eye mean. But what Jesus is saying here is that we tend to find our way through life with the aid of our eyes. Jesus actually says in Luke that the eye is the lamp of the body, right? A good eye allows light into the body, but a bad eye leaves the body in darkness. Jesus is saying that our eyes are similar to our hearts. Where our hearts are fixed on, when our hearts are fixed on God, our eyes will be fixed on him as well. One theologian puts it this way. He says, eyes are like the expression of the soul. When a good eye acts in a healthy way, it is the sign of a healthy soul, But then you have the antithesis of that. You have a bad eye. So what is a bad eye? A bad eye is one that's miserable. It's begrudging. It's envious. It's jealous. Jesus says that a person who is stingy and tight-fisted and selfish cannot see where he is really going because he is morally and spiritually blind. He has a bad eye, and it's going to affect his entire life. When you have a bad eye, when you are so selfish and so greedy and so tight-fisted with what you've been given, it begins to affect every part of you. The fact is, is that earthly treasures are so powerful that they tend to grip our entire personality, don't they? They grip our hearts, they grip our minds, they grip our will, they grip our thoughts. They tend to affect our spirit and our soul. And when we hold so tightly to those earthly treasures, it stirs up this massive amount of anxiety and worry because you are constantly trying to control and get more of whatever it is that you have or desire to have. And so if the opposite of a bad eye is a good eye, then what's the opposite of selfishness and greediness? Generosity. And that's what it means to have a healthy eye or a good eye. Paul actually uses this same phrase, good eye, in 2 Corinthians 8. And he's talking about the Macedonian church. Except the way that the ESV translates it is the word generosity. Paul says that the Macedonians had an abundance of joy in their poverty that overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Paul says they were so generous that they gave beyond their means that They gave beyond their means, and that's what it means to have a good eye. That's what it means to have a healthy eye. Jesus says if you have a healthy eye, then your whole life is going to be filled with light. And so we have a choice to make. We can either choose selfishness and greediness, and along with that come what? Worry and anxiety. Or we can choose selflessness and generosity, and the text says that we will experience an abundance of joy that comes from the grace of God. It's a choice that we have. It's an either or. It's not a both and. 
That's what you have to choose. And Jesus, in the next verse, says this. He's very explicit. He says this in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is being very explicit here. You have to choose one or the other. You can either treasure God or you can treasure the things on this earth. Whether that's money or not, you are going to choose what you treasure. And the repercussion of loving one, Jesus says, you will hate the other. Now, I know when we see that word hate, we typically, it kind of dwells up this kind of irrational and emotional response when we see that word hate. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's actually saying that when you hate the one, it means you will actually reject it. You will reject one. You will love one and reject the other. So he's saying that if you choose to treasure God, then increasingly you will reject the things of this earth. They won't mean that much to you anymore. But if you choose to treasure the things of this world, then you will increasingly reject God. Increasingly, you're going to live for the things of this earth and not for God. You're going to look to God for your satisfaction, for your comfort, for your identity. You're not going to look to him, sorry. You're not going to look to God for your satisfaction, comfort, and identity anymore because you don't feel like you need him. When we have all this stuff, when we have the big house, the big car, the big salary, the big 401k, the perfect school that we put our kids in, or we homeschool them, whatever it may be, we feel like we don't need God anymore because we are now in control. That is until they rust or fade or stolen away. Then we tend to actually realize that we do need God. When we look around this room, or let's say this, when we look around this community, it often feels like there's little to no physical need. Now, I'm not saying that people don't go through hard times, okay? I know for a fact that people go through hard times. There's people in this church that have gone through hard and deep struggles, but from an overarching perspective, this community is rich. We're a rich community. And just like the survey said, talked about that I spoke of at the beginning of the sermon, it says, we have all the things we need to live fat, happy, comfortable lives. The problem, though, is that the more that we have, the more we want, the more that we get, the more we feel like we need to protect what we have. We then become so selfish and tight-fisted that it drives this anxiousness and worry. And as Jesus has said, those things never last. The things that we treasure on earth, they never last. And so that's the root cause that Jesus addresses when it comes to our worry and anxiety. The root cause is the things that we tend to treasure, where we place our heart. Moving on, Jesus tells us at the beginning of verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies on the field, how they grow. They never toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive... and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, 
Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Ouch. Come on, Jesus. Jesus gives us the command right at the beginning of verse 25 there. He says, don't be anxious. Don't get worried. And then he goes on to a whole bunch of reasons on why we shouldn't worry. Now, we could spend uh, sermons kind of breaking this whole thing down, but we're going to move through it pretty quickly. Verse 25 and 26, he gives us the first two reasons on why not to worry. Don't be anxious about what you will eat, drink, or wear. Is life not more than food and clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of, val of more value than they? The first reason Jesus gives us is that this life is not all that there is. What Jesus is saying is that even if you had no food and you starved to death, even if you had no clothes and you froze to death, or in Houston, if you, I don't know, sunburnt to death, <laughs> Jesus is saying, so what? So what? Jesus wants us to think from a kingdom perspective. He's saying, so what? Because of the fact, if you die, guess what? You're going to be, if you've placed your faith in him, if you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, when you die, you're going to spend an eternity with the king, with the king in heaven. So what? This life is not all that there is. Jesus says, don't fret about those things. Don't worry about those things. Simply trust and obey God and get on with the calling in your life. And that calling is to influence others by sharing the good news of the gospel so that one day, God willing, you might greet those that you've shared the gospel with in heaven. Second reason we don't worry. Jesus says, God is our father. Jesus says that God feeds the birds of the air and he's not even their father. How could we ever fret or worry or even imagine that God, our heavenly and perfect father, wouldn't feed us as well? You see, Jesus is reminding us that our perfect and compassionate and ultimate father would never do that. And aren't we so much more valuable than the birds of the air? Peter says this in 1 Peter 5, he says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Cast all your worries, all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Church, we don't need to worry because we have a father in heaven. He's always there for us. He's never going to leave us. We can tell him our worries. We can tell him our anxieties. And he's ready and willing to accept those from us. And he will take care of us. Now, what this doesn't mean is you can just kick back. All right? This doesn't mean we can just kick back and wait. We can't be like these little birds in the nest with our mouths open just waiting for food to fall from heaven. That can't happen. Even the, it's, the text even says even the birds have to hunt. Even they have to gather. Even they have to provide for their family. And so do we. We will have to spend time reaping and sowing and gathering food because God said it would have to be that way. Do you remember when? Right at the very beginning, when sin entered the world, God said this to Adam in Genesis 3. Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. You're gonna have to work for it. We can't just kick back. But God will provide. It's going to take work. It's gonna take sweat and pain in order to take advantage of that provision. All right, so those are the first two reasons. This life isn't all there is, and God is our Father. Next one, we're not to worry. And quite honestly, this is, this is the toughest one for me. You ready? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? The answer to that question is none of us. None of us. None of us can add a single hour to our lives by doing anything. Now, I know that there's many of us that take our multivitamins. We like to exercise. If you're like me, you might go to cryotherapy. You might get a little IV therapy. You can ask me afterwards what that does. But in the end, (laughs) who decides how many hours we have to live? God does. And so Jesus is telling us that the reason we are worrying is because we actually think we are in control of our lives. We think we are the ones that decide how many hours we have in our life, and we fail to recognize that God is in control. Hear this. Low self-esteem is not the reason for your worries all the time. The reason you are worrying is because you have an overinflated self-esteem. It's not because you're thinking too many negative thoughts. It's because you're thinking too many unbiblical thoughts. That's why you are worrying. That's why I worry. One of the most difficult times in my life, and yet one of the most transformative times in my life, happened around six years ago. And the reason this was so difficult is because I couldn't see past the struggles and the pains and the worries that myself and others were experiencing. In fact, it was so difficult that I began to question the point of it all. Yes, a pastor began to question the point of it all. Why wasn't God showing himself in any of this? Why was he allowing such difficult things to happen? Why was he allowing so many people to get hurt and take advantage of? Why were these people being successful? And probably the most difficult question I had to ask myself is, is God really in charge? Because right now it sure doesn't feel like it. But then thankfully I had community. I had people in my life to point me in the right direction, people that would pray with me and for me People that pointed me to truth. Like this verse right here in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 14. It says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. And yet in the day of adversity, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. God is in charge of absolutely everything. Down to the hairs on your head. And I needed to see this in a way that I'd never seen before. I needed to see and understand that I was not in control. God is. And when I allowed that mindset to actually happen, to take place, my life changed dramatically for me. Small things began to roll off my shoulders. Big things, I began to give them to God. Now, I'm not saying that I don't struggle with control anymore. You can ask my wife. You can ask Sean. He'll let you know. I struggle with control, but... What I know now is I have a better understanding of who God is. I have a better way of resolving the anxiety, the worry that stirs up inside of me when I try to control everything. I go to his truth. I pray for his word to be what guides my heart. And so with that, I no longer have to worry about the things that I have or that I don't have. I no longer have to worry about my success. I can just work hard and let God take care of the results. I no longer have to worry about what people think or care, what they, how they care about me. I can just be loving and let God take care of them. 
I'm not in control. God is, and that's what's best for me. That's what's best for you. So we're not in control. Third reason on not to worry. Now, Jesus continues with reason after reason after reason on why we're not to worry. From the clothes that we wear to the things that we eat or drink. And he assures us that if God would dress a field of flowers so beautifully and meticulously, flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, then why wouldn't he care so deeply for his creation in us? Those who have placed their faith in the gospel, those that have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, those that will be around for an eternity with God in heaven, why wouldn't he care for us, even down to the tiniest details of our lives like he does with the flowers in the fields? In God's providence, he cares for you day by day in the little things, minute by minute. And Jesus is saying, we don't need to worry about those things. In verse 32, he says, for the Gentiles... They seek after all those things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. The text says that we don't worry. We are not to act like the Gentiles do. Or in other words, unbelievers. We're not to act like unbelievers do. We are, when we do this, we are actually acting like, when we don't trust in God, we are actually acting like we don't have a, fe- a heavenly father. Why would we do that? Verse 34, therefore... Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Final reason Jesus gives us not to worry. God gives us grace for today, specifically for today. We saw that in the Lord's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. God is going to allow a certain amount of suffering each day, a certain amount of uncertainty each day, a certain amount of trouble each day, and then he will give you just enough grace to deal with it that day. Look at this text, Lamentations 3, verse 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that reassuring? God's mercies show up every morning in your life, don't they? And if we stopped and just looked at today, we would recognize that today has enough trouble for it already. We have enough trouble in today. And the anxieties and worry that we place on tomorrow, the trouble that we anticipate when we do worry about tomorrow, that stuff may never come to fruition. And so we must go back to the promises of God and trust in God's grace and mercy and strength in which he has given for us today. His mercies are new day by day, morning by morning. Now, those are a lot of reasons that Jesus gives us not to worry at all, but he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say again, hey, don't worry, be happy. But rather, Jesus gives us the antidote to this poison pill called anxiety. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's it. That's the antidote right there. Seems so simple, doesn't it? The antidote for this poison pill of anxiety is to seek God's kingdom. But what does that mean? It means first that you are to seek the king. If you're going to seek God's kingdom, then you must first seek the king. And if you've never allowed Jesus in your life, 
If you've never allowed Jesus to be the king of your life, if you've never allowed him to come in and save you from your sin, if you've never allowed him to pay the penalty or the consequence of God's wrath that you deserve for your sin, if you've never allowed him to become the Lord of your life, the king of your life, then I invite you to do that right now. What are you waiting for? What is on this earth that you think is so much better to spend than to spend an eternity with the heavenly father who loves you so much that he sacrificed his position, his authority, his riches, and his life for you? Go to him. Seek the king. That's the first step. That's the first step of this antidote. But then you must keep seeking the king every day. Worry and anxiety, they come when we're seeking the things of this world, the things we treasure in this world, the things that come from this world, rather than seeking Jesus the king for our ultimate satisfaction. And so maybe this is you today. Maybe you're worried about having enough money to feel secure in your retirement, but the scripture says money is not your security. Jesus is. Maybe you're always concerned about what other people think about you because that's the way that you try to form your identity. But the truth is, the Bible says, is you are a child of God. You have been given his characteristics, his traits. Jesus says that your identity is shaped by him, the king. Maybe a lot of your time is spent making your house into the ultimate place of comfort because you believe your house is your refuge. But your house is not your refuge. Jesus is your refuge. The reason we worry is because we are seeking the things of this world and not seeking the king for our ultimate satisfaction and comfort and joy and security in this life. And so seek the kingdom and everything says this, seek the kingdom and in everything and all these things will be added to you. And then he says, seek his righteousness, which means two things to seek his character, and to seek his priorities. Now, when we seek the king's character, we started the Sermon on the Mount a few weeks ago. If you missed that, if you missed that sermon, I suggest you go back and listen to it. Because it, Jesus listed a bunch of qualities and character traits of a person that seeks righteousness. But I want to look at the very first one that he lists. Jesus says, blessed are the ones who are poor in spirit. What if we were poor in spirit? What if you lived a life poor in spirit? Were you recognized that we deserve absolutely nothing but God? The two greatest words in the Bible, but God, out of his love, his mercy, his grace has given you, has given us everything that we actually need. Think about that. If we had that mindset, we would never worry about anything. So seek the king's character. And then lastly, seek his priorities. And his priorities, priorities are the kingdom of heaven. It's not this earth. It's the kingdom of heaven. Which means we use our earthly treasures to store up heavenly treasure. Jesus says this in Luke 16. He says, and I tell you, Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Amen. In other words, Jesus is saying this, guys, use the means and wealth that you have on this earth in order to make friends in heaven. Amen. 
Use the treasure that God has given to you on this earth to influence people to seek Jesus alongside you so that when you do go to heaven, there will be people greeting you at the door saying this, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for using what God gave you to introduce him to me. That's a treasure in heaven we're storing up, if you ask me. We did not plan it this way, but God has providentially set up this part of the text to come at a time when we need to actually challenge ourselves as a church to seek the king's priorities in our finances. God has done and continues to do some exciting things in our church, really exciting things. But at Providence, we don't really talk about money too much. It only comes up in sermons as the text brings it up. And we, we don't pass an offering plate around. I think half the time I forget to even tell you that the giving box is in the back. And so we don't talk about it very much. In your bulletins, you'll see a stewardship update that lets you know kind of where we're at with our giving and our needs. But today, I want you to think about this conversation that we're going to continue to have. I'm going to have Sean come up in just a minute. But I want you to think of it as a family conversation. When you're at home, and things come up in your home, and all of a sudden you need a new refrigerator, you need a new appliance, you need a new roof, you need new floors, whatever it may be, you guys generally, if you're like me, you'll sit down at the coffee table, you'll sit down at the dining room table, and you'll have a discussion on how we're actually going to pay for these things. And so today, I want you to think about this as a family conversation. We're a family. We take that very seriously here. And so today is just a family conversation about what God is doing at Providence North and the things that we believe as pastors and as the leadership team, some strategic steps that we need to take in order to see God be used in and through us more to be ambassadors for Christ in this community, to see our influence be greater, the expansion of God's kingdom be greater than what it is now. So Sean, I want you to come up. He's going to share a little bit about what we've been talking and praying through when it comes to the future of our church. Thanks, Josh. Great job. Yeah, we wanted to uh, give a quick update. We find ourselves at a bit of a crossroads here at Providence North, and these are great conversations to have. These are great problems that we're running into. In fact, they're not really problems at all. They're just a byproduct of God growing our church, of God bringing us new people, of God expanding um, our influence for the kingdom and his purposes. And so I just... We don't really talk a lot about money. In fact, we, like Josh said, we don't pass a plate. We don't really, besides our little stewardship update, that's, that's all we really put in there. I never really wanted to strong arm anyone into uh, feeling obligated in their giving. But I think as a, as a byproduct, some people just don't really know where we're at, what we're thinking, and where we're headed, and what God's wanting to do. And so we're, uh, we as a leadership team uh, want to do a better job at just being uh, more up front, even from this stage, about how God is leading us and where we're going. So, quick family update. Um, we are looking ahead in the next 12 to 18 months uh, at outgrowing this space at current trends. Uh, year over year, we've grown over 30%. Uh, we have uh, Sunday to Sunday have about just over 100 adults and just over 100 kids. We're almost at a one-to-one -one ratio with adults to kids. There is a tremendous amount of little people running all around back there. And, uh, and what that means is that all of the spaces back there are swelling and growing. We have more babies coming, and we have uh, not enough spaces to put our graduating 
kids that are getting older into new spaces. So our, our oldest group, our students, got kicked out of one room because our fifth graders had grown so much, and now they're in the kitchen. So there's no more space left in this building to put any more people unless we uh, kick Bonnie out of her office or something like that. I don't think she'll be too excited about that. And so that poses some issues for us. Uh, and they're good things, and the Lord's really uh, done some amazing things. So just, just to give you a frame of reference on our unique position, uh, most churches, an average church, I'll say, if you just statistically speaking, with over 100 children in the children's ministry would typically have about 300 adults in attendance. So usually about 100 kids and 300 adults. We have 100 adults and 100 kids. So it puts us in a very unique position to say the least. Even in this room, we, we have room to put 50 more chairs in here. So we're kind of, you know, holidays, things like that, we're buttoned up against that. And it's and because of that ratio, we're not able to go to services because it would, the, 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 the volunteer ratio doesn't work out with the adult ratio going to services, running two adult services in here to help with all the space issues that we have. So, um, the Lord's done a lot. We've learned a lot in the last year. So the last year, we've been uh, meeting with commercial real estate people. We've looked at raw land. We've looked at existing buildings. We've looked at existing church spaces for sale. And so as we're uh, gathering all this information, as we've been praying, Lord, what might be next for us? We've learned a lot. And so some of the things we've learned is that all of these things that we're looking at have a significantly higher dollar amount than we were anticipating. Uh, whether it be the, the church up the road, the crossing that's for sale, there's, you know, there was a, a couple extra million dollars involved than we originally thought there would be, right? So that's being off. We were off a lot. Um, raw land, it's there's really not any in the woodlands, so to speak. And so, and it's very, very expensive. And the on-ramp to do that is very expensive and a, a lot longer of an on-ramp. So then we looked at lease space. Okay, so what's out there? Maybe there's a storefront. So there's a few shopping centers that shut down. So we've talked to them. Uh, they're also very, very expensive because you need to build it out. You need to rip all the guts out and you need to put some infrastructure in, some rooms and all the things that come along with building out children's rooms. Uh, and so one of the cheapest options that we found was some warehouse industrial space in the woodlands. Uh, and it could have been in, it's, it's a great space, but it needs a lot of work on the inside. And so what we've learned, just a, just a quick update, I'm not gonna spend, we're gonna revisit these things in the coming weeks, is that all of these things are feasible because we've, uh, the Lord has blessed us with a nest egg of savings for a vision fund, but what, what we struggle with is our operating budget is short uh, by almost fifteen dollars to $20,000 per month to make a space like that. The cheapest one actually work, okay? I'll say, so not 5000 a month, fifteen dollars to $20,000 a month short in order to make a warehouse industrial space even work for us. And so that, that's, that's a big number, right? And so in light of even the things that we're talking about, I think the Lord has put us in a season of a church where we need to begin to pray, we need to begin to talk about, we need to be open and upfront to say, hey, if this space, if we're running out of space and we're running out of um, 
available places to put kids and to put adults to hear the gospel moving forward. And the Lord's calling us to make this next step for his kingdom purposes. Uh, I want us to begin to pray about, and I want us as a church to begin to think about what is the step that we're taking as individuals and as families to help us make this next step, right? And I think it's gonna happen through two different ways. One, we need to continue to invite more people into what the Lord's doing here. Be proud of what God's doing at Providence North and growing our church. Continue to to do what you've already been doing as we've seen our church grow 30% in the last year. Praise God. Uh, Let's have some more folks to join in the mission and vision of what God's calling us to and help us uh, shore up maybe some of the things that we need to make that next step. And secondly, what I want us to really begin to pray about, so Let's, let's begin to invite folks. Let's begin to be proud of what God's doing and, and bring them into. And secondly, we need to significantly increase our monthly operating budget. Many, many of you are giving faithfully, and I wanna say thank you. Thank you for supporting this church. Uh, thank you for loving this church. Thank you for faithfully giving to this church. Um, but we need to expand our monthly operating budget if we're going to be able to have and be able to make decisions to make that next step forward as we're praying and planning in these next 12 to 18 months as the Lord continues to bring people as more babies are being born and all the things uh, that are happening. So I'm asking you this today. If you currently don't have a plan for financially supporting the mission and vision of this church to see the kingdom principles and the kingdom, um, the kingdom of God come to fruition here at Providence North, I want to challenge you to make a plan to sit down, go home, just like you would at the family budget and say, hey, what has God given to me and how can we participate in giving to the mission and vision of this church at Providence North to see it continue forward uh, with what God has been doing the last four years and we, what, what, we, what we want to see God do in the next decade here at Providence North. So if you currently give, I wanna say thank you and I also wanna challenge you to maybe reevaluate what that looks like. Some of you, it's just kind of been maybe two years ago, maybe three years ago, maybe one year ago, maybe four years ago is kind of the auto deal and you just haven't thought about it since then. Maybe your job has changed dramatically. Maybe you have more resources that you could allocate. Sit down and pray and say, has the Lord uh, given me and, and has an opportunity for me to respond with my generosity in a different season that we're in right now as a family? I want to challenge you to do that. What does generosity look like for you in this coming year? Third, and what I want us to understand is that if we're going to see this happen, if we're going to respond to what God is doing in our church, which I, I'm hopeful and I know we will, and this sermon was timely even for me having to talk about this because it creates anxiousness in me, right? It's like, oh, I get anxious, I get worried. How? But the Lord's going to provide. He's going to do. He's going to work. We just have to be faithful to him. But to those that call Providence North home, it's going to have to happen with us together. This is our church. It's not my church. It's our church. We are the church together. 
So we just have to be frank and open about these conversations and respond to what the Lord's doing to the space needs that we have. We're trying to get very creative. We don't have a bullseye set out. So this isn't a building campaign. We don't have, we're gonna go try to buy this, that, or the other. We just know whatever that next step is, we know a significant bump in our operating budget needs to happen in order for us to be able to make uh, a wise move to be able to move into a, whatever the, the Lord may have next, right? So we're trying to prepare ourselves now for what the Lord might have down in the future. And I want to maybe dispel uh, any misinformation that maybe some of us have, just because we don't often talk about this, is I know I talk to s- some folks, and maybe you think that there's some other funding arm, there's some, there's some entity out there that helps churches get going, and they give money every month, and they kind of make this thing work, and, and give resources. Uh, the, the way that the Lord has has established this church, grown this church, and built this church, has been from day one, from the generosity and faithfulness of the people that show up. That's how it works. Uh, So there's not some place or number that pastors call and they can uh, submit an application and they just get like a couple hundred thousand dollars to help make things happen. It's through God's people that he has called to make and multiply disciples through the furthering of the gospel that he brings us together and we collectively share the resources that he's blessed us with so that the kingdom could advance through the work of this ministry that he has us be a part of. Church planting is tough work and I thank you for being with us in this. It's pioneering work. Uh, Pioneers are people that blaze a trail forward and there's There's thickets and brambles and things to clear and cut because the path hasn't been cut before. And God has called us as a people to be those pioneering people. And so there is a level of sacrifice involved with pioneering new work because sometimes the pathway, you're not sure how you're gonna get there, but we know we're in it together and we know we're gonna pick up the plow and we're gonna move forward together. And so this is the season I feel like the Lord has us in. Hey, let's, let's pray, let's plan, let's reevaluate. Let's say, Lord, how are you calling me? How are you calling my family? How are you calling me individually to help further the mission of the gospel here at Providence North? So invite a friend, invite a neighbor. If you know a, a group of uh, maybe even um, 70, 80-year-olds, we need them. Let's bring them so there's not 100 more kids coming with them too, right? So let's all join bridge clubs and things, bingo groups. And I think that may be a good strategy for us possibly moving forward. But invite folks to be part of what God's doing and pray and say, how is the Lord calling us to participate in generosity for the mission of the gospel here at Providence North? Amen? Does that sound good? And... Uh, We're an open book. If you have questions about what this means, if you have questions about our budget, if you have questions about how kingdom resources are spent, come grab us. Uh, We we are happy to have those conversations with you. Uh, We'd love to have those conversations with you. Um, I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna sing one last song. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. God, I pray that we as your people, as your church here at Providence North would respond with all that you've given us, God, 
and that we would respond faithfully as generous people wanting to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need today. God, and let us come together as your people and say, let us be a generous people. Lord, you give me what I need today and we'll be open-handed with the rest. And so God, help us, grow us in that. Help squelch any anxiety uh, that comes along with these conversations, God, because we know ultimately it's for your kingdom, for your gospel, and for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and worship him, church.